Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was a health update from this Premier League manager that finally forced the world's most lucrative league to take action. Are you confident that the Premier League season will go ahead as of April the 4th? None of us know. We'll see. There's some good news for soccer fans. After more than three months on pause, the English Premier League is back in action and will play the remaining games of the season in near-empty stadiums. Things are not the same. Hopefully next time we can do a good performance, a similar performance with the people, with the spectators, because I'm feeling with people and without is completely different. We're not the same. Our lives have changed. Our livelihoods have changed. Our routines aren't what we knew them to be. We are adapting, but we accept it's hard. We are conscious that we're different without our social connections, that there are some very good days and bad ones. But do we apply this to those who work in football? Do we analyze players, managers, games, and consider the effect the pandemic has had on these people who have to entertain us? A lot of these guys are really lonely, and so want someone they can trust to talk to, to go and just just speak to. And and I think that's a major issue in, in football. A large portion of players are on a different continent, isolated from their families. Loved ones have been lost as we've seen recently with Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Alison Becker, through an already hideously testing time. All the people who lost uh, uh, very important of our families, of our real friends, so it was a difficult time. Uh, but that's why we have the family to be together, to stay strong with all of us. It would be helpful if we view these people as one of us, rather than superhuman specimens. If we try to understand more, if we stop talking about football exactly as we did before COVID, as though nothing has changed. To assist us in doing this, we're joined by performance psychologist Tom Young. He has worked with Super Bowl winners, World Cup managers and a host of athletes across elite sport and will talk us through the mental adjustments those in football continue to make. Tom is also the author of The Making of a Leader and gets to grips with how sports personalities perform at the highest level while adapting to new conditions. Tom, thanks so much for joining us Between the Lines. To start off, can you briefly explain to us what a performance psychologist does? Yeah, so a a sports or performance psychologist, really, we focus on 
um, how psychological states and the way that you think effectively drives performance and impacts performance. Um, so you might find yourself working with an individual on that. You might find yourself working with a team. And then on the other side, there's also the well-being of players. And I think that's become more in the public, uh, public eye, probably because of the situation that we find ourselves in. But there's a real focus on well-being as well. So how do these people, you know, kind of live their lives and how, do, you know, away from the, the football pitch, um, you know, their relationships, their, their habits and everything around that, not just being a, a footballer or an athlete. You've mentioned two important things there, well-being and how different states psychologically can affect performance. And it has struck me that while we're aware that all our lives have changed drastically due to the pandemic, we aren't really applying that outlook to how we talk about football. We're still analyzing players in poor form or managers overseeing a horrid run as we would have done before, without taking into consideration that their whole environments have changed too. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that, that it's quite easy to do probably as well, because we see sport as a, you know, a, as a release, as an escape. So when it came back, whether that's football or golf or, or whatever, people want to go back into their, that, that feel of normality and the brain wants to work in that way as well. So this is how, this is what we associate, associate watching sport with. We, we analyze, we critique, we compare, you know, we sit there in our, in our armchairs and, and kind of critique and give our opinion. And that's the beauty of it, but definitely, you know, the human beings who are performing in a very, very unique situation. So they're going to be impacted in different ways, whether that's on an individual level or again, on a team level where suddenly, you know, you're having to socially distance in the, at the training ground, you're having to wear masks, you, you know, the freedom of, of the kind of relationships and the conversations people have, have, have been impacted as well. So um, I've been into a couple of bubbles doing, doing some work and you see that. So even though these people are, are still working and they're still lucky to do their jobs. And I think that's probably something that impacts this as well. Their environments have, have been, have been changed. There are changes to that. And, and with that, becomes a change in a change in behavior. Um, one of the things that I've picked up from from speaking to sports people, you know, football and, 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 and other athletes, is almost sometimes a sense of I shouldn't be thinking like this. Like I'm lucky to do my job and I know I am and I love my job and you know we've been able to carry on. So there's almost a guilt that well I shouldn't be thinking like this, but actually as a human being, they're gonna have these concerns and these these worries like we all do. That's a very good point because I feel myself doing that as well. You know, I attend a lot of games and I know that there are millions of people around the world who would love to go into a Premier League stadium again. And I get to do it multiple times a week and I don't enjoy it anymore. And I feel guilty about that because it's so different. It's quite soulless. It feels like going to a hospital now instead of going to a football match. And I actually wanted to go through some of these changes so you can illuminate for us what the psychological effects could be. And like the first one we touched on there is no longer playing in front of fans, not having the emotion in the ground. The game feels so removed from what it used to be. It's almost like just a transaction now, just a training exercise. How does that affect the players and the manager? 
I think it's a really good point. And obviously it's something that people are aware of. And obviously on TV, you see like we, we pump the crowd noise in and things like that. And that can, that can sometimes save us as, as observers. But I think the important thing to remember here is that we don't generalize. We don't just say, well, all the players will be struggling in a certain way because we've got to remember they're all unique human beings. They've all got their own personality. They've all got their own strengths. They've all got their own kind of weaknesses. And so actually to some people, you know, I think sometimes we hear the word, oh, he's got a winning mindset. She's got a winning mindset. And one of the things I would always come back to is that that winning mindset for that individual is exactly that. It's an individual thing. So for some people, they need to be really hyped up. They need to be really kind of quite aggressive. And maybe those kind of people would feed off the fans quite naturally. They'll use that as fuel and that emotion. Some people are quite um, methodical, quite naturally quite calm or around process. And, you know, it might surprise people that, you know, footballers can be introverted. They'll have worries. They'll have concerns. Um, They're not superhuman. So actually I think it depends on, on your perception of that situation. You've seen some teams, um, you might argue free up a little bit. So we've seen West Ham do really well recently. And I saw someone offering that opinion, you know, has, has the fact that they've got this super passionate set of supporters and now they're not there, but it's freed these players up potentially, you know, you've got Liverpool who maybe can't fall back at the moment on that amazing kind of atmosphere and emotion that Anfield brings. And these are challenges from a team perspective, but on an individual level, you never know. You might have some players who actually go, you know what? I quite, I quite enjoy this. I feel a bit calmer. I feel like I've got more time, things like that. So I do think it's a, it's an individual thing, but from a general perspective in terms of sport, it, the whole point that it's unpredictable, it's emotional, those kind of things have definitely been, you know, taken away at the moment. We've also seen the sharpest spike in injuries this season due to the content's time frame to get through the fixtures. And obviously that leads to a lack of recovery time. Do you think that also plays on the minds, given how relentless the setbacks have been, that players are conscious that they are more prone to pick up injuries during that time? Could that also have an effect on uh, the psychological state? Definitely. I mean, obviously I would argue that everything really has an impact on the psychological state and because psychology really drives everything that we, that we do. Um, but in terms of that recovery time, there's a couple of things to think about. Again, if we look at it um, kind of as a group, if you've got a short turnaround, but you're in great form, you've got a big squad, everyone's healthy um, and you've got that positive momentum, then people might quite actually quite enjoy that. Um, flip that situation. You've got a team with injuries um, on a bad run of form. You suddenly play in one of the top form teams and then it's a negative. So I think, again, there's two perspectives there and probably a lot of perspectives in between. And then for the, again, on a club perspective from the, you know, it's probably an opportunity for smaller clubs to think we've got a chance against these guys here. We can beat them. We can get this scalp because they've got they've had a short turnaround or they've played in Europe. Um, so it probably gives some of the smaller teams perhaps some an opportunity or a sense of of kind of being able to make a big a big statement. But then from an individual element, I think you you'll have a lot of again athletes, footballers who are creatures of habit. They'll build routines. Um, they'll want to prepare really in a real detailed way in a consistent way. They'll want to do their recovery. They'll want to do all the, those kind of protocols. And those protocols have changed. 
and they're having to change them and, and kind of move in real time with them. So I think that will be a challenge on an individual level, especially for those players who are very, very routine based. They will have to build newer, more flexible, but yet still robust routines. Um, so they might have to kind of challenge the way they've always done things, which can be a which can be an interesting one for people and really change about how, you know, what do I need in order to perform? Um, and to be able to get those performances out with a shorter break can often mean reframing their expectations in terms of what they need in order to, to prepare. I know times now are different. Times are strange. You know, the, the, the strain on the players and football is not the same, uh, unfortunately, without the fans and the passion. Uh, so that takes away from it. I, I don't think, think anyone, or I know it, no one's been in the situation the players are now. And the injury side, obviously, I think you've got to be, um, you've got to be mindful that each of these players is in their own unique situation. You know, we don't, there's not that many players who are playing for their boyhood club and they, you know, or the club they supported as a kid and they, that's what they want to do. Like some players have ambitions to move on. Some players want to develop, you know, we all have our own kind of targets and goals. So if that player is thinking, well, if I, I hope I don't get injured, then that's not the right mindset for them to, to be in. Um, so injuries is a, is a big thing. Again, players have to be more aware of the way that they're thinking about it in terms of the mindset that they're going into a game with. And on a team level, in terms of managers, you know, if you do have injuries, how do you deal with it? How do you take control of that narrative um, with a group? Because if you lose a, a big impactful player, either as a, one of the best players or one of your most kind of influential players, it can be an opportunity for someone else. So lots of people talk about developing young players. So if you take control of that narrative, that can be an opportunity for someone to, to really kind of stake a claim to a spot. So it can be a really important part of someone's development as well in terms of the squad depth. But from the manager's perspective, actually communicating that, putting trust in other players and that squad depth, I think is a really important part of where they come in in terms of controlling where the narrative is amongst the group. You spoke about controlling the narrative there and about losing one key player. So I just wanted to bring Liverpool's current situation into this. So Virgil van Dijk in your scenario would be that superstar that they've lost. And obviously since then, the injuries have completely stacked up to the point where they had lost all their senior centre-backs and the ones who were filling in, the midfielders, have also succumbed to injury. With the regularity and the scale of setbacks they've had, how do you try then and control that narrative as a manager? Because I suspect it, it must be quite difficult when you have to do it once, twice, three times when you've got to stay positive and, and push through it. I can see how you'd be able to, but when it does start to stack up so badly, uh, what's the, the technique there? Yeah, it's a really good point. And they are in a unique situation, aren't they, in terms of, you know, the, 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 everything seems to be going against them in terms of those injuries. And I think there's, there's a real balance to be had here because, you know, in spending time with some leaders, and I haven't spent time at Liverpool and so you can't comment on kind of I know they've got a really strong culture there and they work very hard on the psychological side of it and the thing about culture is that people when a club does well we go oh they've got a great culture but when they have a dip the great culture should still be there 
It's just mm. the, the results aren't necessarily communicating that to us as people who are observing. In terms of controlling that narrative, I think it's really important. It's, and it's not just about what they say to the media or what they say in a presentation. It's about every little conversation they have with senior players, with young players. But the balance they've got to try and strike, I would, I would say, is facing the facts of a situation. It's something called authentic optimism, which people will, maybe will have, will have read about. I think sometimes the danger when people hear psychology, they think it's just think positive or it's a motivational kind of tool. Mm -hmm. But it's around everything that we do. And what we're trying to say when we say authentic optimism, you're trying to balance the... We're going to face the facts of a situation. You've lost one of the best players in the world and then multiple other central defenders as well. That is a, a fact that we have to face up to. But let's maintain the courage and the faith that we're going to move through it. And that's the balance to be had. And it's not a case of just saying, okay, let's just do that then. That is a source of, it comes from your culture. It comes from the behaviours and the, the values that are embedded within that group and within that team and by that, that leader and those players. So I think it's about finding that, that balance because there's no point being pessimistic about it, but equally you can't just go, oh, it'll all be fine because there's some real tough challenges there. So I think it's that balance and that's the manager's, maybe the challenge is to maintain that sense of belief while still confronting these, these facts. The other element you spoke about, which I actually have never seen mentioned before, and it is so pivotal, is you know, players who have always had quite strict routines in how they prepare themselves, where they have felt that the reason they have been so successful is they've kept to this routine over, you know, a number of years, and now they've had to adjust it and alter it. How do they switch their mindsets, having been so embedded to that old way, the old way that they believe was, you know, the, the foundation to them getting the success to now have to change it due to COVID. Uh, yeah. And again, going back to that kind of point that the individual approach, yes, we're together as a team, but everyone will prepare in a different way. And you can see that when you see players walk in, some with headphones, yes. kind of some quite relaxed, some really kind of with, a, you know, a serious so, and if you went into a change room, you would see that some people listen to music, some people really energetic. Um, so I think that's really important to remember. In terms of flipping that mindset, I think, first of all, it starts with being aware of how you're thinking. So are you straying into an irrational way of thinking? You know, and, and an easy way to spot that is when someone's thinking, I must do this, I have to do that. Mm. And there is, there's, there's something there around how they're actually, so I have to. And when you actually, if you actually challenge them on that, they don't have to, do you know what I mean? Or um, it's not absolutely essential. Um, they want to, and it, make, and, it, and it gives them confidence. So I would be saying, right, let's not throw the whole thing out of the, out the window, but how do we, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not going to have the same gap between games, um, how can we build a really robust routine that fits the situation that we find ourselves in now? What can we control? What can we implement into that routine? What do you need? What do you need from the club? in order to put yourself into that best, best, best mindset, because we can't, you can't change the situation they're in. So watch for those irrational beliefs and find a way that it, it can become, you can put a version of that routine in without putting too much pressure on yourself. And that will be an individual process. In the morning I wake up, normally like everyone, I have my breakfast. I give the breakfast to my little baby. 
after this we go out with the dog we, we spend a little bit of time with the dog out and uh, we came back I have my first session of training um, after we have a lunch I, we rest a little bit in the afternoon so after this we, we play together normally sometimes I have two sessions of training so I need to train also in the afternoon but most part of the times I have time to spend with my family, with my baby. One of the, the things I've realized from speaking to players since March through this entire period is they all flag how important it is to bond and socialize as a team. And, you know, they're now only able to spend time together during a training session, not at the training complex in general. So they're not spending extended time in the dressing room together. They're not having meals together. It's pretty much, you know, during a training session and then during the game where they interact. All the other connections have been reduced. What impact does that have on a team environment? From a team perspective, we are social animals. We are more motivated and driven when we are part of something that is bigger than ourselves, when we can bounce ideas off people, when we can see that other people, we can trust the person next to, to us. And of course, that doesn't completely go away when, you, you know, when you're suddenly in a match and in training, but those social connections that build relationships and build trust I think are a massive part of what holds a team together and what creates that, you know, the culture that we, we then talk about. At the core of that, whether that's football, rugby, or even in business, is relationships and trust. And take away those social interactions and you take away a little bit of that trust, I suppose, especially. I mean, imagine being a player coming in and you signing, um, you know, into, into an environment where you don't get to know them in the same way. It takes longer to embed into that group for you to form relationships. I think that would be massively challenging. Um, so yeah, from a team level and a, and a collective identity, I think that's a real, a real challenge. And you've, I suppose you've got to, you know, like I heard one of the, you know, I'm using an example of another sport, but one of the England rugby team, and they were talking about how a little bit like what you described, they train together and they'll eat, but there'll be five of them on a huge table and then they'll all go back to their rooms and they're all playing PlayStation with the um, the headsets on. And that's almost uh, the social side. And that's a real kind of concern because how are you then supposed to pull together as a team, especially when when you come under challenge? Yeah, the the aspect of the new signings was something I heard Julian Nagelsmann and Jurgen Klopp talk about with each other. And that was the first thing both of them had sort of pinpointed that the, the social interactions are all gone, which is quite taxing for the players that have been there for a while who are used to spending time with each other. But for new signings, especially if they're coming from a different country, without speaking the language, without getting to know anyone, and now they're just sitting isolated in a flat, it can be quite difficult. And actually, um, I, was, I had interviewed Angelino and was talking to him about the difficulty of playing now during COVID, you know, without the fans and stuff. And he said, actually, he enjoyed he enjoys playing. He prefers playing. He wants there to be three games a week because he's living alone in Leipzig, away from his family without being able to see them at all. 
And so when he's playing, he's not just sitting at home alone with his thoughts. And we tend to forget that loneliness and feeling isolated also applies to these sports stars, to our heroes. 100%. And I think, again, it comes back to that point we, we talked about earlier about almost people maybe don't want to say that because, you know, I, you know, again, using examples from other sports, like people who, you know, after the after everything shut down, when they're going back out and, and almost being worried about that and being worried about families and things like that. But that's accompanied then with, you've got this opportunity that everyone would go, oh, that's great. You're playing football, you're playing golf and you're getting paid really well for it. That doesn't take away from all the points you mentioned there in terms of this loneliness or, and especially if you are someone who's a deep thinker. So, you know, we, people listening, you, you know, we all know that we, we kind of, we might overthink at times or we start going, mm. what if this happens? Or you start to think like you go into future scenarios that haven't happened yet. And imagine doing that in a away from your home because you're on loan or because you've moved and the family is somewhere else. Um, together then with that lack of social interaction that we talked about, that can be a real challenge for some people. Um, and even, you know, little things like having someone they can talk to in that support network and whether you're a manager or a player is really important. And maybe someone who's outside of that sport and that bubble um, is a big part of that. But I think, you know, like you said at the start, in terms of we've all gone back into that, our natural state of how we anal analyze games and how we, we comment on, on performances. There is a well-being aspect to that. Um, and I think people coming into clubs anyway from a different country or a different club and speaking different languages is a challenge to do that within this um, environment is, is a, is a, is a real challenge. And I suppose it's down to the clubs and the players to find a way you know, of actually trying to bridge that gap. You can't replicate what you would get maybe in a normal team environment, but we can try. You know, how do you bring that player into the group? What might the key relationships be? Does the manager give them a little bit more time? Do they spend a bit more time asking them, trying to understand them as a human being? Um, and little things like that, higher quality conversations can maybe help to bridge that gap with those new signings. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
This week at Sukarnov. On the Luke and Pete show, Luke introduced me to some bizarre animal warfare. In the 70s, there was a... <laughs> I can't remember to say this, but I promise you it's true. <laughs> there was a war, an actual war, between rival chimpanzee clans that went on for over four years. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on Abroad in Japan, Chris is facing off against a natural disaster. So the same day that I'd run out of fuel, right, I was like, well... I made it in one piece. Thank you, God. And then, then like, five hours later, the worst earthquake I've ever experienced. It was a 15-storey building shaking from side to side. It went on so long, I was like, this hotel's coming down, and I don't want to be in it when it does. Listen to Abroad in Japan and the Luke and Pete Show, available on your favourite podcast player. All that and a whole lot more at Sukarnov. We're talking about transfers that have actually happened there. And uh, the offset of that is at the moment, clubs, many of them, aren't in the financial state to take risks in the market. So you've got a lot of players now that are surplus to requirements at their clubs and they'll know it. They'll feel it. You know, they're not getting many appearances and stuff, even though we're in quite a condensed season and rotation is important. Now, when you're a fringe player, to come in every so often and to be expected to perform is quite difficult because you don't have rhythm. But if you're now thinking about your future and we've seen a, a reduction in transfers, we've seen clubs preferring loans and stuff like that, and at the low end, French players who ordinarily would have moved on quite easily are in a situation now where they might not be able to. And, you know, like with everything, we're speaking in general terms. How can that uncertainty about the future, they're, they're currently not really feeling wanted where they are, but they don't know how that's going to be resolved given the lack of money in the game at present. Yeah, they can't see a route out of it, I suppose. And that's the challenge because as we know, football in particular can be volatile and people move clubs and, and things like that. I think, so being a fringe player is tough at the best of times. You want to feel valued. You want to feel like you're adding to, to an environment and you want to be getting something back as well. You want to feel like you're belonging to this group. So that can be challenged anyway. I think when you're painting this picture here, I think it's really important to understand like something like resilience or persistence isn't always bouncing back from something that's really bad. So someone doing a crucial ligament or, or, or something like that, it can just be sticking in there. And it's, you know, psychologists sometimes call it grit. So just being in the moment, um, persisting towards the goals you want to achieve. So how can I get the best out of every day? It's not an easy thing to do. I'm very aware that you say these things and, you know, there's processes behind being able to do this. Um, I think we want to work like with routines and we want to know where we belong. And suddenly that's, we don't know where we're going to be. Um, Or these players don't know where they're going to be. Are we moving house? Are the kids coming out of school? All these kind of come in. And I think that's where, the relationships are really important at the club. So that manager has to keep that player, for me, informed as much as they can. Obviously, you can't always tell a player everything. I'm 
you know yeah. but what are the options what are the routes if this happens what what do we do next what if this happens what are our different um perspectives so i think there's two elements of it i think there's the managers or the leaders managing of that situation and their communication with the players because you've seen it at times maybe where the manager just shuts down because we want to avoid that conflict or we want to deal with the players who are um who are playing and being selected regularly but actually sometimes it's the players on the fringes especially if they could be an influential player or have been in the past that situation needs to be managed kind of really really carefully and in a really kind of um authentic manner the other side is the player's mindset which i think is more around okay let's get into the mindset of trying to win each day what does that look like how can i how can i what can i control and in terms of getting the best out of each day that i'm in and really kind of working on that grit which is basically when there's nothing exciting happen something's not really going badly it's just you've stalled it's flat how do you keep that momentum going um and that's by taking control of those those daily habits really when we speak about all these things i mean we're dealing with our situations quietly and privately whatever struggles we're going through during lockdown whereas players and managers are having to go through it publicly whether you know, it's been a personal loss, whether it's having had COVID themselves, with the added complication of the professional pressure that they face on a global scale. You know, you've got millions of people around the world invested in how you perform and waiting to criticize you on on social media. And we've seen, you know, Alison's just lost his parent, Jürgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have lost theirs. And all this is playing out really, uh, you know, in, fr- in front of the watching world. And they're still having to go on as though nothing has happened. Mm. Yeah. And, and that is, that is such a difficult place to, to be in because I think, you know, having spent a bit of time, not with the two managers that you mentioned, but, kind of researching leadership and and what that takes. I think sometimes there is no off switch for these people. So there's probably a conflict going on there that I'm going through this emotion and this grief that is me as a son, me as a, as a, in those examples, me as a family member, losing someone who's really important to me, but at the same time, having this loyalty to their players and to the club and this expectation, this is what we should do. And I think I saw something, I can't remember what this, where this came from, but it, I think it was just a tweet and I saw someone saying, actually, you know what, if these people did take a week off, we'd probably, like, they wouldn't be criticised, you know. So most people would see that maybe in a more rational way. And actually vulnerability makes them feel real, makes them, um, for me, vulnerability is a, is a strength. Um, so I think in general, I don't think people would kind of begrudge them that at all. I think there's an internal conflict where these people are so kind of obsessed and, and driven and um, loyal to, to what they're doing, that that can be more of an internal conflict. So I think that's, that's a massive part. When I, inter- I interviewed seven leaders and two of them were, were from football, so, I inter- so Sean Dyche, Roberto Martinez, and even in, amongst this group of seven um seven leaders from different sports, cricket, rugby, rugby league, and and the NFL, there was a real sense of family. Um, They all had, they all pointed to the the role of their parents as as a lot of us would. And they had really close kind of ties with where they came from. 
Um, and, and also they all had support networks. So I would say, actually, when you look at that, you know, it's going to hit them really hard and those support networks are even more important. Um, but the, the internal, I suppose, conflict is, well, this is a football manager. I should be doing this versus I'm a family member. I've just gone through the loss and this is how I want to react. So you almost end up with an inconsistency maybe in terms of, in terms of, right, what should I be doing? And what, you know, what's, what's the expectation of me? What are the different roles I've got to play? Because as a, as a manager, that can consume you as a human being. So my identity is I am a football manager. Whereas in reality, these people are not just football managers, although I think we sometimes, you know, are guilty of, of probably driving that. They are, you know, parents, sons, daughters, you know, all these other roles that people play. And I think maintaining that sense of identity is really important, but it's a massive, massive challenge when you're playing that out in, in front of, you know, the watching, the watching public and everything's being critiqued. There's no easy solution to that, but I think it's just, it's, it's allowing them to be vulnerable would be a, would be a key point and actually realizing that that's a strength. What we live when I live personally is the same, like everyone I think lives. So there's nothing different, nothing special, of course. All the people who lost uh, uh, very important of our families of real friends. So it was a difficult time, uh, but that's why we have the family to be together, to stay strong with all of us. But uh, the uncertain situation, what do you have to do? What is going on about the machine, about the process for the people, for the scientists? Uh, curious and waiting like everyone. I think it was not different like any other person in the world. Privately, we had a, 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 a absolute tougher time, but that is not only for uh, now three weeks ago or whatever that was. That, that was a longer, much longer time already. So, and um, we always deal with it as a family, one hundred percent. One of the the other things is I think we're all, or in general, feeling a fatigue of the situation at the moment. Um, I I feel it personally. This. Mm has been the toughest stretch, really, to get through of lockdown. And it's bewildering that we all accept that about ourselves and our friends. And, you know, when I talk to people, I'm, I'm always saying, oh, you know, there's no right or wrong way to feel about this. Just allow yourself to, to process it however you feel that you need to. Yet we don't really apply that to to footballers to the managers to to all these people who basically are there to entertain us now <laughs> to keep us going through this situation uh, they've got the fatigue of of the world having changed with also the fatigue of having to play and and perform so regularly yeah and i think they've offered us hope haven't they I, like for me in particular like mm. so i've grown up watching football um and, but to be honest, I'd, I'd stopped watching it a bit or I'd, I'd kind of fallen out of love with it a little bit. But when it came back, you'd be watching any game, any game that was on the TV. So what they've done, you know, and of course they're, they're well paid and everything like that, which people will point to. But they've really offered, I think, a lot of people some some escape and some hope and some, some positivity. Um, but that doesn't escape the fact that they're having to do that against the backdrop of having families, of having concerns, of probably having vulnerable people within their... Um, within their, their kind of family units or extended family. You know, I know players who have been worried about going from a, 
domestic bubble to an international bubble and the travel that mm. that might bring and the risk that that might bring. Um, and I think it can be tiring, mentally fatiguing. So there's obviously, we've talked about recovery times and injuries and, yes. and obviously there's a physical element to that as well as the mental side, but the mental fatigue, when you've got a lot of people who kind of remember these people who they've sacrificed a lot, they're, they're extremely driven. Um, they're, they're kind of always looking at ways to get better. So they're going to be thinking quite a lot and they're going to have a lot of thinking time. And I think being able to slow that down is, is something that, you know, and reduce that overthinking is something that can help with that mental fatigue. So even just a simple process for someone just to, at the end of a day, just to get those thoughts down on paper or on a, on a kind of voice note or whatever people want to use. I'm a little bit old school and, and use kind of pen and paper that can help reduce that overthinking, which it's not going to get rid of it. If you're, if you kind of do that, but if we can reduce it from five hours after a game to two and a half hours, then you've made a really big step. So I think there are little things you can do around that mental fatigue just to try and control the way that we're thinking and become more aware of it. But definitely in terms of, you know, like you say, we are all people first and then that, you know, athlete second or whatever we do as a job come, come second. Yes. Um, so we're all going to have different biases, different worries, different limiting beliefs about these, the situation that we find ourselves in. Their challenges, they've got to go out and perform and find a way of, of doing that. They've had months and months of playing with, uh, with the uncertainty and the unknown of the virus and the, the pandemic. And sometimes it's easy to sit at home and think football's the same and you expect the same from every, everyone. Sometimes we have to look behind and we have to look after them, both physically and mentally. And these are things I think about a lot and thinking about my players on how how do they cope with the whole whole situation i do a lot of like profiles with teams and you try to understand the people you've got within a group so many like we we assume footballers are all like these highly competitive confident individuals and actually yeah. there's a lot of people who are very cautious they, they get worried you know if i take a bad first touch then the whole game's going to be rubbish yeah Equally, if I take a good first touch, I'm going to play well today. So it's irrational on both counts. But we we did. What if this happens? What do they think of me? You know, it's a game of opinions, isn't it? And mm. you know, we I think as fans, people assume, oh well, they're, they're super confident and they're, they're always, you know, they're always, social media helps to build this. But actually, they're just young people and very good at what they do. Um, but we still have concerns and worries and things like that. It's just maybe, you know, I think it's really important they have somewhere to go to with that. You know, we've, you've seen so many well-known, famous, rich, whatever you want to call it, like people who, who have all the trappings of success, but it doesn't make, doesn't make them happy necessarily, yeah. or, or they still come up with issues or they'll still have concerns. You know, I spoke to one player recently, so female, kind of very experienced, won pretty much everything you can win, been a captain and all these things kind of imposter syndrome and, you know, self-doubt and all those kind of things. And you think, wow, and it, that even shocked me, to be honest. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that's it's supposed to be the area that I'm kind of an expert in. But I was like, whoa, I did, just did not expect that because we all make judgments based on what we see. Yes. Which is, you know, we do that for everyone, don't we, as in human beings. But you do that on TV with it, throw in some passion and some results and some tribalism of fans and you, and you get some, some real extreme views. That was eye-opening in so many respects and felt a bit like therapy to me. 
in thinking through my own situation during the pandemic as I was listening to Tom speak. This has been the toughest stretch of lockdown, so I hope it's helped all of you in some way, however small, too. And importantly, I hope it's taught us that we should keep the points discussed on this show in mind when we're watching a game or talking about it. Cheers for tuning in, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production, written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.